I'm guessing that there has been a time in all of your lives where you have done something for this reason, because everyone else was doing it. <laughs> I can think back to high school and some pretty bad haircuts that I got, not because I invented uh, that type of style, but because everyone else was getting the same sort of haircut. Or I think back to my music menu when I was a teenager and the amount of heavy metal that was on it. And I don't know that I ever liked Megadeth and Metallica, but my friends were all listening to music like that, so it kind of showed up in, in my uh, song list as well. You know, he, here's the reality that all of us have experienced, that the people we're around, they affect what we do and how we think. And yet, while that's true, and this is where we need to be careful, is that just because everyone is doing something a certain way doesn't mean that everyone should be doing it that way. Would you agree? Okay, let's broaden the context to something more important than haircuts and music. In every culture, in every era, there has been a certain way that the culture views life. A certain way that the majority of people in that culture view things like, what does it mean to be successful? What relationship does family have to your everyday life? Uh, what about schedules? Um, what about money? Every culture in every era has had a way, a way to think about things. And the thing about culture is that there's a very strong pull where if you are not careful or if we're not being intentional, that we will be pulled naturally towards what everyone else is doing. And believe me, that's not always a bad thing. Not everything about culture or our culture is bad. But the thing to be careful about is just because everyone is doing something a certain way doesn't mean that everyone should be doing it that way. And in fact, when you think about the culture and the era that we live in, well, let me share something with you that is statistically true about our culture right now. There is more worry, more stress, more violence, more divorce, more debt, and less happy than in any other point in our country's history. That's what's ordinary. I think it's safe to say that ordinary hasn't been working very well, has it? That's why, in part, we're doing this series. Through the next five weeks, what we're going to look at is what does it look like, what does it mean to be unordinary, the art of being unordinary. And we're going to address things like family and relationships and money and how we use our time. But before we get into it today, I want you to understand sort of this underlying foundation of the entire series. This is not a self-help series. 
You're not going to come away from this series over five weeks with some life hacks to make you more successful and more productive. That's not our goal. That's not our plan. That's not why we're here. Instead, what I want, what we want you to understand throughout this series is this, that when that there will be a transformation in your life when you recognize that Jesus is the center of your life. There will be a transformation in your life when you understand that Jesus is at the center of your life. Here's how Jesus said it when he was teaching his disciples and some others in John chapter 10. He said these words, you've probably heard them. I have come, I have come to this world that they, my people, may have life and have it to the full. And the question is, what is the full life? I know some people come to church or come to religion looking for this full life that's filled with success and happiness every day and riches. Even the disciples were looking for those things. And Jesus had to remind them, that's not what I'm about. That's not the full life that I'm talking about. That's not even really a full life at all. But instead, what Jesus came to do is to help us understand through what he did on the cross that there's something more important than this life, that he has given us through his death and through his resurrection, this amazing thing to look forward to, which is an eternity in heaven, that there is a life that's more important and bigger than the day-to-day life that we see with our eyes. And when we recognize that we were not made to be in this world forever, but was made for something bigger, was made for eternity, it changes things, doesn't it? It changes perspective, It changes your purpose. It gives you more peace and more joy in spite of what might be going on. That's what the full life is like. It may not change your circumstances, but it absolutely changes your heart and your minds. So today as we get started, we're going to spend our time together to unpack one of the areas where God has called us to be an ordinary. It's in this area. Time. And specifically, our schedules. And even more specifically, to the culture and era that we live in, this acknowledgement that we have as Americans in 21st century this susceptibility to filling up our calendars so tightly and with so much that most of us are left to feel exhausted and stressed out. And you know what? As, as we unpack this, I want you to know that it's not just, you know, churches and, and, and pastors that would point out that this has been a bad thing for people. This is also coming from secular doctors and psychologists and counselors. There is a, a doctor named Stephanie Brown. She wrote an article for the New York Times uh, some years ago, and she wrote about how there is this addiction that people have to being busy and filling up their calendars that's leading to such a lack of unhealth. And then, and then she wrote this. The exhausting fast pace of life promotes overstimulation and overscheduling which become chronic stressors that lead to behavioral, mood, and attention disorders. 
We can't see that we're causing our physical, emotional, and behavioral health problems as we try harder to go faster and then turn to medication to treat the unforeseen consequences. We believe we should be able to go this fast and there is something wrong with us if we can't keep up. I'm guessing that many of us can relate to what is being said, or at least we felt that temptation to join that rat race. Now, as, as I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about this topic, I recognized that there are a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of relationships that people have with time and schedules. Uh, for instance, when you're retired, there's an entirely different perspective on schedule than when you're in the middle of your working years or have kids at home. There's a couple of things I, I wanted to point out as disclaimers. The first is this, that today's message is not intended to bring guilt to people who have circumstances that are out of their control. I was thinking about the person listening today who might be that single mother of three kids. And she's doing everything she can as she balances being a mom with two jobs to put food on the plates for her children. And she's just doing the best that she can. There is no guilt in this message for your busyness. Now, if that's you, I want you to know that the church is here to help. And if that's how you're feeling, I want you to reach out to me this week, and we have people at our church that might be able to help in one way or another. The other disclaimer is that this message was not intended, as we talk about <laughs> the busyness of life, to promote uh, an idea of being lazy or to waste your life. That's not the idea either. But instead, it's this acknowledgement that most of us, most of us, have the ability to make some choices about the things that will go on the calendar and the things that won't go on the calendar. And that generally speaking, we live in a culture that pulls us to be busier and sometimes busier with the wrong things than the unimportant things than we should be. So, Fill-in number one is just this, that chronic busyness is dangerous. It's dangerous for your emotional health, because when you're stressed out, guess what? We're going to see this in the lesson for today. It spills over onto other people. Chronic busyness is uh, dangerous for your spiritual health, because it's a lot of times puts a wedge between you and God. It's also dangerous for your physical health. And so we need to talk about this. This is an area where we want to be unordinary, at least in relationship to the rest of culture. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a section of scripture in Jesus' life um, where he not only sort of pointed out some of the dangers of busyness, but then he also gives us one practice that I believe can be very helpful in pointing us to what's important. So when Jesus was in the middle of his three-year ministry, uh, one of the things that he and the disciples did a lot was travel. 
Now, they didn't travel far because they didn't have a car, but they walked all over Galilee in the north and then around Jerusalem in the south. And as they'd go, they'd go from town to town. And Jesus would, as he came to town, would often teach or heal people. He'd go to the synagogue, maybe, or the town square and teach. And at times, if he knew people in that town, he would actually spend time in a person's home and teach or heal. And that's what's exactly going on in our lesson for today. Jesus has come to a town near Jerusalem. It's a town called Bethany. And he's come to stay at the home of some people he knew very well. Their names were sisters. Their names. They were sisters, but their names were Mary and Martha. And that's where we pick it up in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he, had said, what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I'm guessing if you're someone who grew up around church or reading the Bible that you have heard this section before and you kind of know what's going to happen. I remember having this taught to me several times in Sunday school. Back in the 80s, we had this uh, teaching aid in Sunday school. It was called the, the flannel graph or the flannel board. And the Sunday school teacher would take out the little figurine of Mary and Jesus and put them in one room of the house as she, they kind of put it on that sticky flannel board. And, and then they would take out the, the Martha piece And it's funny how Martha, interestingly, would look very much like Mary, the mother of Jesus, and also Rebecca and Leah in the Old Testament, because it was kind of the same figure. But anyway, today this is today this is Martha. And the teacher would show how Martha, while Mary and Jesus are just sitting in the room, Mary at Jesus' feet is going all over the house, and she'd move her all around the house or all around the yard, getting all busy while Mary and Jesus just sat there. And I remember as a kid thinking, Martha, chill out. What is wrong with you? Relax. I mean, not only is there a guest at your house, but it is the Son of God. Look at how Mary and Jesus are just so relaxed over there. What is your problem, Martha? And then I became an adult. And I invited people over to my house. And I began to realize and to recognize all the things that you feel like you need to do when you have someone over and someone you care about. Now, I never had the incarnate Son of God over to my house, at least not in the flesh, but Martha did, and so did Mary. And so I think we need to at first just give Martha a little bit of slack, give her a break a little bit. You know what really was going on at first for Martha? She just wanted things to be nice, like, like you would, like I would. She was busy trying to think, make things nice for Jesus, who had come to visit, and his disciples. And so Martha had ideas on probably how the house should look, and what the menu would be, and how the place settings would look. All those sorts of things. It's, it's funny when you read Bible commentators, they say, we don't know for sure, but based on this, we think Martha was probably older than Mary. If you're a firstborn, you know how it is, right? I'm one. 
do all the work while the younger kids kind of, you know, do what they do, right? So Martha's all busy while Mary's just sitting there doing nothing. And then it gets more awkward. Next verse. Martha came to Jesus and they asked, Lord, Master, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister Mary, she's maybe pointing at her, has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, there's a lot going on here, okay? First thing is this. Have you ever been to someone's house and uh, the family started fighting amongst each other? I don't advise it. It's awkward for the guest, right? As the family that's hosting is fighting while you're there as, as a guest. And I'm sure there was a little bit of that going on as Martha kind of blows up at Mary. And then the other thing I wanted to point out is the frustration that Martha had was first geared towards who? Mary, right? Makes sense. But you know when you're busy and over busy and stressed out how that, I mentioned it before, that stress just kind of bubbles up on whoever is around you? Who does she also get frustrated with? The incarnate son of God. Like, you've been mad at Jesus in your heart before because things didn't go the right way, at least in your mind the right way. Like, Martha actually got mad at Jesus with her mouth and yelled at him. Because she's so busy and stressed out and has no margin in her life in that moment. And so... She's like, don't you even care, Jesus? And can you say something to my sister? Can you tell her to come in here and help me out? I'm doing everything. And I don't know if it was that tone, but it certainly was that idea because the Greek there for that phrase, tell her to help me, is an imperative form, which is a command for Martha is commanding Jesus to tell Mary to help. Martha's busy. Got lots to do. Calendar, or at least a, a day schedule filled with things that she needed to get done. And now she's reacting. And the interesting thing is that I really do believe that before the day came, Martha's heart was in the right place. She wanted things to be nice for Jesus. But at some point, that changed. And we don't know exactly how, but here's what we do know, going to verse 40 again, that Martha, Jesus said, or Luke writes, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. What Luke is pointing out is this this good thing, making the, the house nice for Jesus, became over time a distraction from the main thing, which was Jesus is at your home. I'll say it this way. Martha's busyness stopped being at some point about Jesus and started to be about Martha. Martha was convincing herself, I'm doing this for Jesus, but Jesus points out, you're distracted. So what was it for Martha? We don't know for sure, but Maybe it was, you know, I need things to look good for Jesus to make me look good. 
Maybe it was the idea that her value and significance was found in, in how well she hosted. We're not exactly sure, but Jesus, through Luke, points out that Martha was distracted. And a good thing became a distraction because it kept her from the main thing, which was Jesus. Let me say that again. A good thing became a distraction because it kept her from prioritizing the main thing, which was Jesus. That's essentially our second fill-in. See, even good things can become a distraction when they keep you from the main thing. You know, like most of us aren't trying to decide on our calendars if we should put things like rob a bank or steal a car. And like, those are obviously bad things. Most of us are dealing with lots of good things, like another team for the kids to play on or another activity for us to do with the guys or with the gals or whatever it might be, or more time at work so that I can advance and climb the ladder. These are not bad things. These are are good things, right? But even good things can be a distraction when they keep you from the bad things. So what what is good? It's interesting, I I feel like over the span of our lives, we're kind of on a journey in figuring out what's good and what's important, and and it kind of changes. I want you to see how over time, what you think is important changes. So when you're two years old, you know what one of the most important things in your life is? Someone yesterday said, said mom, and that's absolutely true. I'm going a little, a lot lower than mom, a blankie. Two years old, right? Many of you had a blankie that was so important that you couldn't go on trips without having the blankie because you wouldn't fall asleep. And then when you're five, some of you still have blankies at five. Some of you are 40 and still have a blankie. I get it. But when you're five, you kind of transition. And now it's maybe a stuffed animal or a doll, and you're five years old, and you look at a two-year-old with a blankie, you think, oh, how juvenile that you would think that a blankie is important. Here's where it's at. It's, it's with dolls and stuffed kitties. This is important. And then you turn 10, and it's arts and crafts, or it's remote-controlled cars that you get into, or action figures. You're like, how could anyone ever think that stuffed animals are important because it's arts and crafts where it's at. And then you get to high school. And what's what's important in high school? I heard sports, yeah. Making the team, getting a letter jacket, um, having someone ask you to prom, right? These are the important things, being in the right social group. And then you get to college and you're like, Letter jacket? Who cares about a letter? I haven't gotten my letter jacket out since high school, right? Who cares about the letters once you get to college? In college, it's about fraternities and sororities and the right professor and the right school. That's what's important. That's what you spend all your time and, and focus on. And then you get out of college and it's like, fraternities? I need a job. I need to convince someone to spend the rest of their life with me. (laughs) That's what's important. And then that happens, and you go on to maybe having kids or 
finding the right house. These are the things we think about and take up all of our time. Let me just say this and hear me when I say it. That we will always be searching for what's important until we realize that the things of this world are good, but they're not the main thing. That the the most important thing, the main thing is this, Jesus and the things that last forever. How you use your time to make an impact in this world that has lasting benefits. How you connect yourself with God on a daily basis and making that a part of your, your schedule and your calendar so that you are someone who stays close to Jesus. It's Jesus and the things that last forever that are the most important things. And that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the things of this world. Hear me when I say that. You have been given things about this world or for this world from God. He wants you to enjoy them without guilt. But when you look at your calendar, when you look at your schedule, when you look at what you put your focus and your intention on, the question needs to be, is it mostly good things? Or are we living in a way where the main thing is the most important? Now, why do we get so wrapped up in our calendars with the wrong things? I think for some of us, it's just we've never thought about it before. I'm getting you to think about it. For others of us, it's this pull from society and we feel like we need to because everyone else is doing it. Certain activities or things that we do. I think even a little bit more underlying than that, many of you will relate to this. That a lot of times the reason why we're so busy at work or we're so busy with the things of this world or we have our kids be so busy is that we are searching for value and acceptance and significance. And we find that value in our jobs, so we push harder. We find that significance and that value in the success of our kids, so we run them ragged and don't say no. We find that value and that significance in ourselves and the things of this world rather than somewhere else. I want to I come back to this in a moment. But before I do, let's go on to the next verse. So Martha had come to Jesus, had complained about Mary and how she wasn't helping. And here's Jesus' answer. Martha, Martha. And it wasn't uh, this, this Greek putting Martha, you know, twice wasn't, isn't a way that writers would show anger by Jesus, more like a, just a, a compassion and a, a little bit of sadness. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed actually only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. I'm guessing that Martha was pretty surprised by Jesus' answer. I'm thinking she thought that Jesus was going to scold Mary, but instead 
Jesus points out that Mary had it right. That Mary was doing what she should be doing. Spending time with him. Listening to him speak. Putting the things of the world aside because at the end of the day, the perfect place setting wasn't as important as being near Jesus in that moment. And Jesus commends Mary for making that choice. Do you know where your significance is found? It's not on what you do and what you get done. Although things need to get done, I realize that. But sometimes there can be a rest of our souls or a rest of our feet when there first is a rest in our soul. Number three, your ultimate significance is found not in what you do or what your kids do. Your ultimate significance is found in Jesus and who he says you are and the identity he gives to you as his child. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. When you want to talk about a person who was able to get stuff done, think about how much Jesus got done over three years. He changed the world and you and me. And during that time, there's a couple things that I want to point out that, that were true about Jesus. The first is this, that he understood what it looked like to even in the midst of important work to rest. Uh, here's how Luke writes it. Said the news about Jesus spread all the more after he had done a miracle. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And then Luke just kind of makes this off uh, side comment that is so huge. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus understood pace. Even as the incarnate Son of God, he understood the importance of resting and spending time with his heavenly Father. The other thing that's true about Jesus is he never forgot the main thing. He did a lot of things, but he was so focused on the main purpose, the main thing, the main reason why he was there. In fact, even while he was experiencing, you know, I would say just a very quiet day up in the area of Galilee, he told his disciples, we can't stay here. We need to go to Jerusalem. Uh, here's how Luke writes it. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, at the time approached for him to die, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, the, the Greek says that he, he turned his face towards Jerusalem. And instead of enjoying peace and quiet in Galilee, he remembered, this is not what I'm here for. And it's going to cost me my life and it's going to cost me the experience of hell itself. But this is why I'm here. And your savior and mine resolutely set out for Jerusalem because that was his main thing. That's why he came to die for you and for me. And that's where we get our significance is what he did at that cross and how he removed the barrier between us and our Heavenly Father and allows us 
to be called his children and to give us an eternal home that we get to look forward to and gives us peace and joy even in the midst of the worst weeks. All because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so this is what Jesus told Martha. Mary has chosen what is better. She's chosen to be with me and it will not be taken from me. What does that look like for you? To choose what is better. It doesn't mean that you need to spend 24-7 at church. We don't want you to be here that entire time. We got stuff to do as well, right? That's not what it is. But it, it does mean looking for the things in your life that are good but not essential so that you're able to make sure that your life revolves around the main thing? Or maybe another way to say it is this. What does it look like to live at a pace where your soul can flourish? And if it is right now, keep doing what you're doing. But if it's been hard, maybe there's some things to tweak. Uh, I think of uh, one very common analogy that's used talking about big rocks and sand and how if you put the sand in first and then the rocks, they don't usually fit, but if you put the big rocks in first and then the sand, it all fits. Maybe one way to think about it is, what are your big rocks? And get them on the calendar. Make sure you're scheduling your time for those things. And there's going to be probably some things that you need to say yes to that everyone else is saying no to and some things that you need to say no to that everyone else around you is saying yes to, but that's the art of being unordinary. And that's what God has called us to. Because he recognizes that when we've been transformed by Jesus, he becomes the center of our lives and things are better when he's in the middle in every way. So one application specifically, one practice I encourage you to look at your calendar. I think this needs to be one of the main things to spend time with Jesus on a regular basis. Sit at his feet like Mary. I'm, I'm talking about Bible time, talking about devotional time. And I know you've heard this before and you're gonna hear it again. But I think every time we talk about this, there's maybe just a little bit of a nuance that can help you get started or to continue again. Today, what I want to point out is that a lot of times we look at our time in the word as like this other box that we just check on our day to day. It's amazing to think for a moment that when we're in the word, it's like Jesus is over at our house and we get to listen to him. And, I, and I, I read one pastor compare your time in the word to like um, how connoisseurs of wine taste wine. When, when I drink wine, I just take the glass and I, I sip it. When someone who, you know, understands wine better than I do drink wine, they let the bottle breathe. Then they pour it in and they swish it around and they make sure they have a clean palate. All this, I mean, drink it already, okay? And then they, they're smelling it and they put it down and they let it breathe a little bit more, right? 
And when you do that, actually, you're able to taste so much more of the flavor than if you just drink it the way that I do. That's what we can do with God's word. The Old Testament psalmist talks about meditating on the word of God every day and night. To, to meditate in some arenas means to empty your mind. In the Hebrew, the word meditate means to fill your mind, haga, with the right things. And so you come to that passage or that chapter and you read it slowly. And then when you're done, maybe you read it again, slowly. And you, you think about questions like, what, what is this saying for my life right now? What, what verse in here really speaks out to me? In which way is this chapter or these verses pointing me to Jesus? You kind of swish that word around in the wine glass a little bit and let it breathe. And you slow down and you take your time and you enjoy being at the feet of Jesus. That is a blessing that is ours that we can have every single day and that God himself wants for us. I know that this message hits every single one of us slightly differently. I also know that every single one of us have a lot of good things that we're juggling in our lives. But for all of us, let's remember the main thing, our Savior Jesus. And let's look to see how he can be at the center of our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word and that through it, uh, much like Mary got to enjoy, we get to be with you on an everyday basis. And Lord, sometimes getting in the word um, can be a little bit intimidating. At other times, honestly, some of us maybe are using that as a little bit of an excuse. Whatever it might be, wherever our heart might be, I just pray that you would move all of us to look at what it could be like to have regular time with Jesus. I pray that you walk with us as we, we put that on the schedule. As we look at other parts of our schedule and ask ourselves, what are the, the, the big rocks? What are, what are the main things in our life? And ask you to give us the, the courage to make difficult choices if needed. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you that in all of this, you love us and that your love is not contingent on how well we balance our schedules, but instead on what your son Jesus did for us. Pray all this in his name.